Welcome to the Virginia Beach Potter's House Sermon Podcast. We're doing something a little different this week. We'll be featuring sermons from the recent Bible conference held at the Door Church in San Antonio, Texas, pastored by Richard Ruby. We're sure these powerful messages will bless your life and help you live for God. And we'll return to our normal schedule next week. God bless. Praise God. Thank you for those very, very kind words. Uh, It's a blessing to preach here in uh, what John called the Grand Lady, referring to the Mother Church here in San Antonio. And I've got to confess, it just dawned on me as I was listening to the testimonies that this is your first conference in this building. And, you know, you think, wait a minute, are you mentally getting deficient? No, it's I've, uh, this is my third time to San Antonio in, in a year. And uh, I think, uh, don't tell any of our other churches, they'll get jealous or something. And uh, I don't want to do that, but it really has been uh, the dedication service and March and now the Bible conference, which is the real focus of all of the labor. So it is a great honor to be here. And I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, chapter 1. And I'm going to, with no apologies, continue on the theme that I began with this morning. And uh, the Bible talks about the preacher. His words are like well-driven nails. And sometimes that truth has to be driven home to us uh, over and over by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And uh, as I ministered this morning, I really meant uh, all that I said uh, as I talked about the beauty and the power of teamwork seen in Abram's 318 trained servants, that winning culture that made such a difference and how I have, you know, I watch, uh, you know, uh, and I... Uh, pastors are watchers. They are observers. And I can tell you, the moment I saw that video report about Vietnam and uh, Brother Chris there, something Holy Ghost inside said, whoa, you better pay attention to that. And, uh, the, you know, uh, as I think about the beauty of uh, teamwork, whether it's in a sports organization, as I mentioned, a business, whether it's the military, a marriage, but especially the church of Jesus Christ. I want to continue with that theme because as I ministered this at home just a couple of weeks ago, I was very, very surprised uh, 
at how much this resonated with people in the congregation. Actually, I, you know, the, the second part of it, I had a uh, elevated fever. I have a UTI. Uh, I probably shouldn't have been preaching, but, you know, hey, I put in all that work. I'm going to be there, even if I probably shouldn't. Uh, but uh, I was very surprised how it resonated, and beyond just simply the typical pastor great sermon stuff, and, you know, that's always appreciated, but there was something deeper at work. And one of the brothers in our church, uh, Pastor Ruby knows him, others uh, perhaps, Brother Tom Trubisky, been saved, got saved off of the University of Arizona campus decades ago. Tom is uh, uh, usually sits right there, front row, right. And uh, what I love about Tom is he's a thinker. He's not overly emotional, demonstrative, but he thinks with perception. And I like people like that in our church. They think biblically, and uh, he sent me an email probably five days after I preached on the 318, and he said, and he postulated that that's probably the evidence of a good sermon that I'm still thinking about it five days uh, later. The capacity for teamwork and Loyalty, he said, which are basically the same thing, is built into our human natures, especially when it involves some kind of need or mission greater than ourselves, like David, who responded and said, is there not a cause? And Tom wrote to me these words. He said, it is one of the most satisfying things in life that I can think of. Now, he is an extremely advanced rock climber. And he understands the vital necessity of teamwork. But I want to go one step further because God himself recognizes the power inherent in this, the power inherent when people are of one mind. And unfortunately, this was in an unrighteous endeavor, the building of the tower of Babel, the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Listen, that's the God of heaven saying about a unrighteous endeavor that when people are of one mind, then nothing is impossible. 
whether it is in warfare or business or sports or the church of Jesus Christ, any endeavor in life, it's all about gaining an edge in order to become a winning team, a winning culture. And I want to preach on what I've entitled gaining a winning edge. And I want to examine that edge with you out of Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read three separate short passages in this book. This is out of the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, but Ruth 1.16. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you, to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do thus to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her. We need determined people in the last days. She said no more to her. Ruth chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, saying, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed, uh, blessed be he by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. And then Ruth chapter 4, verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have acquired from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. I have acquired Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Malon, to be my wife, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance, in order that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his kindred and from the gate of his native place. Today you are witnesses. And all the people who are at the gate, along with the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you produce children in Ephrathah and bestow a name in Bethlehem. Gaining a winning edge. And tonight, let's think about the makings of a dream team. Now, some of you recognize that phrase, the dream team, that comes from the 1992 Barcelona 
Summer Olympic Games when uh, the United States finally sent and allowed uh, NBA players to compete uh, in the Olympics. And, you know, it was the dream team that basically decimated everyone that they played against. Uh, years uh, went by. They weren't the same dream team when they allowed it to go to their head, uh, but that's another sermon. But I thought about that phrase, the dream team, and unlike that Olympic uh, team, this little gem that we read from tonight, the book of Ruth, presents us with an unlikely cast of characters There are just three, and they were to become a team that God would do a tremendous uh, and a mind-boggling work through. This was the woman Ruth, who by all rights had no business being there at all, since she was not a Hebrew, she was a Moabitess. There was another woman who was completely joyless. You ever met anybody like that? I mean, totally joyless. Still dealing with grief. Life had worn her out. Today, we would say that she was suffering from some kind of PTSD, but her name, Naomi, which means pleasant, she said, no, don't call me that, call me Mara, which means bitter. You run in high. My name's Harold. Yeah, I'm joyless. (laughs) I'm bitter. Oh, praise God. (laughs) Really glad you're here. God, help her, please. (laughs) And then in this cast is Boaz, who is the one with a Christ-like spirit and character. But I put together that scenario that's in this book to emphasize that it demolishes a kind of fairy tale that people have regarding church life. Uh, The word that's popular today is community uh, or any kind of teamwork because one of the great myths surrounding uh, relational life, our life with God, our life with one another, The myth is that this kind of community or fellowship is something that is found. It is something that is discovered. In this fairy tale, it's simply out there somewhere waiting to be discovered like Prince Charming uh, finding Cinderella, you know, all you have to do in life is find the right person, 
your soulmate, or you just have to join the right group politically, or get the right job, or become involved in the right church, and it's like somewhere over the rainbow is this wonderful church with no flaws at all and a perfect pastor and people who love one you know we you know it's this fairy tale it's out there and closely related to this the other side of the fairy tale is that it's definitely not something that you have to work at. In the minds of many, in fact, if you have to work at something, it's a confirmation that it's not real. Or maybe you're not with the right person. You know, Pastor Ruby mentioned our 50th wedding anniversary uh, this didn't just, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't just stumble into this. The hero in that narrative is not the guy you're looking at tonight. It's the woman who's not here, who uh, is far more interesting than Pastor Warner. <laughs> but this idea that, you know, if you have to work at something, it's not real, and it carries over into the workplace uh, that, you know, if you have to work on things uh, in, on your job, it's because you have a bad boss or you have bad co-workers or it's a toxic uh, environment. Uh, but I want you to listen not to the fairy tale, but to the truth. And that is real fellowship, real community a sense of belonging, uh, and that kind of unity is not something you find. It's something you build. It is something you work at. It is something you forge. And that is so important because all good relationships all sound and satisfying relationships are the product of labor. You're not going to be married 25 or 40 or 50 years without a lot of work. And that may, you know, remove the, the mystique, but I'm talking... Reality. In fact, I love preaching and bringing reality and blowing up people's fairy tale. <laughs> it's not something you discover. It's something that you build. And this is seen in Ruth's determination where she said, do not force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Uh, and the point uh, is that Ruth sets the tone uh, 
in this little book that this, uh, what is going to be a fantastic winning team, is not just discovered, it was uh, forged. Everything that is good is built uh, on the basis of God's grace uh, and his truth uh, and his guiding principles that bind us together as the family of God. So let me look secondly at a vital building ingredient. And this involves one, in my opinion, one of the most important words of Old Testament theology and ethics. And I'm not, uh, you know, if Pastor Fred Ruby was here, or even I should have asked Gabe, he could have helped me. Um, uh, you know, I speak Greek and Hebrew with a Spanish accent. So I don't, you know, but it is the word hesed, C-H-E-S-E-D. It is used 248 times in the Old Testament to describe God's character, his supernatural love and workings, and his children, those that belong to him, are expected to mirror and model Hesed in their relationship with God and in their relationships with one another. Very, very important word. It's found in Micah chapter 6. O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, Hesed and to walk humbly with your God. So, pastor, what does it mean? Well, good question. Because there is no single English word that can translate and give us the full meaning of the word hesed. There, actually, it takes eight hyphenated words to understand the meaning of this word and those words covenant hyphen loyalty hyphen faithfulness hyphen kindness hyphen sacrificial hyphen goodness hyphen mercy hyphen love hyphen compassion those eight words together give us an understanding of God's loving kindness. It's a word that describes the divine bond that holds us together in relationship with God and in relationship with one another. It's what holds spiritual households together. It's why the psalmist extols and says, thy loving kindness, thy chesed is better than life. My lips shall 
crazy. And the simplest definition to understand is it means love that is loyal to the covenant. God is a covenant-keeping God. How many know that? And it is a theme. It's what builds this team in the book of Ruth. The word is found four times, the example of covenant love, God's and his people. And God's nature is expressed in his desire for covenant relationship. How many know, and oh, I thank God for this, God, this is not a trial marriage. God isn't interested in that kind of relationship. He desires covenant. And that covenant in Holy Spirit, then we should be a covenant people in our dealings and our relationship with God and with one another. Ruth probably had no idea the meaning, the importance of this word, but her determination and her commitment, her loyalty expressed this and bound together in her commitment and devotion to Naomi and Naomi's people and to Naomi's God. The word is found uh, later in chapter 2 where it says, Yes, I know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings uh, you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. In other words, what bound them together was Hesed. When Naomi heard that Ruth had gleaned in the field of a relative Boaz. Immediately she recognizes God's law of Hesed, which stirred in her the first glimmer of hope that she had had in a long, long while, that God has not forgotten me, God has not abandoned me. And he said, he is showing his kindness, his hesed, to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. And it was Boaz also moving and stirred by Hesed, by covenant love and loyalty, who meets the town fathers at the city gate 
and proposes to redeem at his own expense both his relative's property and his widow, regardless of the cost. And, you know, I told Pastor Ruby, it, it tells us in chapter 4, that one of the ways that they sealed covenants and contracts is they would take off their shoe and give it to the other party. I thought that would have been a good illustration, but it would take me too long to take it off, and then I'd have to probably lie down to put it back on. And I forgot to bring another one. But if you are looking for right shoes, and you wear a seven and a half, come talk to me. I'll hook you up. But why did he do that? He was moving in a love that was loyal to the covenant. And out of that came the love story that we read about uh, as uh, Ruth and Boaz are married. Uh, and out of that union, she gives birth to Obed, uh, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of King David, who is uh, the distant relative of King Jesus. And because of Hesed, love that is loyal to the covenant, Ruth herself it finds her name mentioned in the very lineage of Jesus the Messiah. See, it wasn't accidental. It wasn't, you know, on some starry night we met. No, it had everything to do with this quality that the church needs to recognize and be built with. It's not built with brick and mortar. It's built with hesed. It's built with loving kindness and faithfulness uh, and loyalty uh, and kindness. Uh, those are the qualities that go into making a winning team or a winning culture. So let me close and talk to you about the mark of a Christian. Because this is something that cannot be ignored and definitely can't be minimized. It was the evangelist D.L. Moody who said once, I have never known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. Now, how is that important today? Because we are living in deeply contentious times. You know, woe to pastors and others who just bring a whole political agenda into the church that people are uh, fighting over non-essentials. Everybody is entrenched and uncivil. There is an amazing la a lack of trust in our institutions that are probably, that trust is probably at its lowest mark in a long, long time. 
The problem is that can influence and bleed into the church. And from time to time, it helps to remind ourselves who and what we are. We are disciples of Jesus Christ, committed to following him and loving one another. This is why to be a Christian is to be called to a higher standard. Now, maybe you've seen this before, but it's something that I never really uh, dawned on me the way it has recently. We're very familiar with Matthew 22 with the uh, Pharisee and lawyer who presented Jesus with a leading question and asked him, which is the greatest commandment? And we know how Jesus answered. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you, he said, you can hang all of the commandments on these two realities that capture the essence of the law, but ultimately are intended to point people to the person of Jesus Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Bible, right? But that is not the standard for those who belong to him, to those who are following him. And to see this, we've got to go from this tiny book of Ruth to the gospel of John to see this in its real fullness. Because one of the unique features of the Gospel of John is from chapter 13 to chapter 17 is all dealing with the last few days of Jesus' life. So we have five chapters there in John's Gospel focused like a laser on these last few days of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. In other words, all of the words and all of the action in those five chapters were done in the shadow of the cross. And the question that I'll pose that I want you to think about as you look at those chapters and know these are the last few days of Jesus's life. What is he thinking about? What is weighing on his heart? What is at the forefront of his thinking as he is there with his disciples and here it is guys girls 
you've got to love one another. Now, if you think that talking about love is going soft, I think you maybe should read your Bible. John 13, 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. In other words, this is not, you know, uh, love the Lord and love your neighbor as yourself and all the stuff that comes out of that. You've got to love yourself before you love others. You can, really? We naturally love ourselves. That's our problem. We love ourselves all the time. That's not the Christian standard. John 13, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. He didn't say a new suggestion or a little bit of therapeutic advice. He said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my followers. So the standard is, love one another as I have loved you. His hesed, his sacrificial loving kindness, last days of his life. Guys, you've got to love one another. John 15, 12. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love to lay down one's life for his friends. Again, he's not saying love uh, your neighbor as yourself. No, as I have loved you. That love that lays down its life uh, for others. Uh, that love that desires others to succeed uh, and uh, go far beyond where we have gone. John 17, now he is in prayer. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, uh, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Can you see tonight how this is at the forefront of his thinking? I'm going to the cross. I want people to know that my sacrifice is a divine once and for all sacrifice. It is an atoning death for the sins of all the world. I want them to know that you have sent me. How are they going to know that? Love one another as I have loved you. 
that you also love one another. You know, the question, how would people know beyond any doubt that Jesus was an offering from God, God's only son, in human form, come to earth to redeem, to seek and to save that which is lost? How will they know? Well, you know, people will say, well, that's easy, the resurrection. And you know what? You're right, partly. It is a powerful apologetic. He's declared to be the Son of God with power. How? By the resurrection from the dead. But that's not what he says here in John 13 and 14 and 15 and 17. He said the one thing that would confirm the reality of all of this to a watching world. Do you know that people watch you all the time when you've gone on record that you love Jesus Christ? To a watching world, it would be the loving and observable unity among his followers. By this, Jesus said, all men will know. Now, I have to qualify because people sometimes go crazy. Unity is not uniformity, where everybody looks and thinks exactly alike, is in lockstep. It's not unanimity, where people are in complete agreement about every petty issue. In other words, uh, you know, discipleship, you know, I've, I've seen this, sadly, is that, you know, and, and, and I'll defer to Texas, but, you know, if I'm a fan of the Dallas Cowboys, then if you're going to be a disciple, you must be a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> well, uh, there's a word for that, and that is nonsense. That's not what will capture the world's attention. It was J.E. White who said, this involves being kind to one another, grace to one another, forgiving of one another, not assuming the worst, shooting the wounded, or being quick to be suspicious. Biblical unity is about working through conflicts avoiding slander and gossip, and being generous in spirit. He said, guys, you've got to love one another as I have loved you. It was Francis Schaeffer, who was sort of a Christian academic when I was first saved years ago, but he labeled this the mark of the Christian. And as I read those words, they just impacted me recently that Jesus is essentially saying that the litmus test he gave the world 
as to whether we really and truly are following and reflecting him is by this shall one another. And God's dream team is marked by this quality. Let me read you Colossians 3. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and love, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, or what one translation says, what holds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, I'm not talking about just goosebumps and feelings. I love you, man. But I am not talking about the mindset that says, you know what, to talk about loving one another means that you're going soft. When Jesus said, this is the new commandment that I'm giving you. Not love your neighbor as yourself, you know. Have goodwill to everyone, of course. But he said, what's going to single you out? is as my disciples, this is what forges and fashions you into a winning team. I mean, coming to conference where you are genuinely glad to see one another. You know, my brother who's been in Vietnam, he said this is his first time home in four years. I'm sure he's overjoyed just to see the saints of God, just to be in this place with brethren bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, serving one another and serving God's purpose in their generation. A winning culture, what is it that gives us a winning, a leading edge. It's going to be the understanding that this kind of fellowship is something that you must work at. It is forged. It is forged on the basis of Hesed, God's covenant love and loyalty. And it is expressed as you and I love one another as he has loved us. I want you to bow your heads and we're going to wait on God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, 
and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.